Hello, kings and queens and in-between, sinners, saints, and I don't know if I is or I ain't. Welcome to another nitty-gritty episode of Yes, Jesus. I'm Daniel Francesi, and I'm here, as always, with my bestie, Azariah Southworth. And don't worry, because here at Yes, Jesus, we believe it's time for a riot. A riot? Yes, Danny, a riot, a righteous invasion of truth. And for those hardcore Carmen fangs, they're going to get this reference. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's good. We'll just sit down in the pew pew pews and relax because it now is time for a little moment of Advent Lutheran Church in New York City hung a pride flag outside their doors for the summer. And like happens too frequently, it has been stolen or damaged, and now the church is doubling down. In an Instagram post, the church is pledging to keep hanging a new flag up, and here's what they wrote on Instagram. To our anonymous neighbor who continues to tear down our pride flag, thank you for giving us the opportunity to witness again and again to how deeply God loves and values the queer community. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to practice persistence, being an immovable witness to love and welcome, putting up a new flag for everyone you tear down. Thank you for the opportunity to invite our neighbors near and far to financially support the LGBTQIA pride fund, which you can find at adventnyc.org slash pride dash fund. Every time our pride flag disappears, we'll put up a new one and you can help. For every $8 that's donated, it funds a new pride flag at Advent. Anything beyond $8 will go to the Trinity Shelter, which provides housing for LGBTQIA plus youth in New York City, and Reconciling in Christ, which promotes LGBTQIA plus inclusion nationally in the Lutheran Church. So every encounter with injustice is an opportunity to practice love. Oh, yes, it is. Now, see, that's the kind of call to action that I like to see. Every time you rip down a pride flag, you know they're going to put another one back up. You know what I'm saying? Like, And anytime that you can have an opportunity to make a stand for God, I think that that just is such a great opportunity. So it's like, you know, they always think they're getting you, but in actuality, they're bringing this community closer together and making them stronger. And who knows all the good that'll do. So make sure to donate your $8 because like they said, it goes to Trinity Shelter or Reconciling in Christ. And like, I mean, what wonderful causes. So they're definitely uh, turning the lemons into lemonade here. And I love that. Yeah, they're doing the gospel. Yes, they are. And that's something to praise about. And that brings us to this portion of our show, which is the praise report or the prayer request. If you have a little something you want to hallelujah about, we'll do it with you. And if you have a little something that you want to just ask God for, uh, we'll ask our listeners to add it to their prayer list and it'll add it to ours. This one's a praise report. This comes from Michael. Michael says, I'm a 53-year-old man and a father of a gay child. And I'm also a listener to your podcast, which I love. Recently, all the shitty news in the country, election denial, voter suppression, January 6th deniers, anti-gay, anti-COVID, anti-vote, frankincense, frankincense, frankincense. I have been stirred into action and I'm planning on walking across the state of Missouri, where I'm from, city to city in the shape of a cross. The walk will take about 30 days and each day I'll walk for a specific cause, among which will be LGBTQ plus rights. I'm hoping to drum up support via all the social media and media that I can help to raise enough awareness of this walk to garner media coverage. There's other details on my walk that I'll share as I approach my walk date, which I will set once I have some cooperation in publicizing my intentions. What can you do? You know, often 
I didn't understand the impact of doing like an AIDS walk or, or a cancer walk or a walk like that. But it's like, it's one of those things where when you get so frustrated, you just got to do something that you just got to move your body about it. And I think that is definitely a step that is something that gets people to notice and garnish attention. And um, way, to, way to go, Michael, to just do something, you know? Yeah. And also, Michael, like those kids in those small towns that you're going to walk by who are in the cars with their anti-gay parents who maybe see you wearing a pride flag or a pride t-shirt, you know, that while you're carrying a cross or whatever you may be doing, the representation that gives them to know that this is possible, that God can love me just as I am. So that's being a witness in a place where there's maybe not that representation or a witness to a lot of people. I think that's exciting. So that takes us into our prayer request. Uh, Azzy, what's the prayer request this week? Yeah, the prayer request this week comes from Richie. Richie says, hey guys, I want to ask you to pray for a tricky situation. I have a strange relationship with my sister. She doesn't accept me being gay. And after a big blow up, we haven't really spoken in 10 years. I recently learned through my mother that both she and her husband got COVID. And I have very mixed feelings about that. On one hand, she and her husband were pretty anti-vax, so maybe this will shake some sense into them. I don't want to rejoice at their suffering, but I also feel like there's a sense of justice here. Maybe just pray for clarity and the right attitude in this moment, whatever the right attitude really is. That's relatable, Richie. It's relatable. And, and it's interesting to feel that I hate equating um, any kind of virus to a sense of justice. I mean, that's something that was used against the queer community during the AIDS crisis. I mean, we hope that your family is well, but I understand the frustration of someone who just blatantly doesn't accept things. And it's just such a difficult thing. What you want to pray for here, the real prayer here, I think is for healing. I think that's the thing to ask for here is to try to find a place of, of, of healing for them and to try to keep your attitude in the spirit of Christ and try to keep your attitude in a positive spirit. It's very difficult. I know you've been through a lot and there is a lot of mixed feelings, but try to maintain an example of love. I think the best thing an LGBTQ person could be in this world right now, especially at this time, is an example of love. There is no denying what you are is a negative thing if you are walking around as love. Yeah. You know, Richie. I am very much in the same situation. I have a sibling who is the pastor of the church that I grew up going to conversion therapy in. And she is also anti-vax and she also got COVID and ended up in the ICU. So I think what Danny shared is, is on point, just continue to be the witness, continue to walk in love because you know only they can make that choice for themselves and only God can and the Holy Spirit can move upon their heart to, to make any sort of change that is needed. So just continue to be the witness, continue to be the love. We'll be praying for you, Richie. Um, we're gonna take a little break right now and we'll be right back with the scripture of the day. So stay tuned. Guess what, Azzy? Are you excited? I'm excited. Our freaking deacon, Ross Murray, has written a book. Yeah, and this book needs to be on the desk of every minister. Every minister needs this book. Whether you like it or not, LGBTQ people will always be in the church. And our ministers need to be equipped with how to show up for us. Pre-order the book, Made Known Loved, Developing the LGBTQ Inclusive Youth Ministry with your favorite bookstore or online store today. Visit madeknownlove.org to learn more. And now it's time for... 
the scripture of the day. Eight, eight, eight. Scripture of the day. Oh, oh, oh. Scripture of the day. Oh, oh. It's soul food. Azzy, what is it? Isaiah 10, 1 through 3. Ah, uh, you who make iniquitous decrees, who write oppressive statutes, to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be your spoil and that you may take the orphans your prey. What will you do on the day of punishment in the calamity that will come from far away? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave your wealth? Oh, that's interesting. So, so what does the Bible say about love and justice? A whole lot, Danny. <laughs> a whole lot. Love and justice are a pretty central theme. I mean, we spent time at Yash Jesus doing a lot of Bible wondering. We don't believe in Bible studying. We believe in Bible wondering, especially looking at some of these stories that queer Christians can relate to. Yeah, and we often think of the Bible as something that we need to defend ourselves with. But we hope that you are hearing from our readings that Scripture is something where we can find comfort, affirmation, and even a little motivation Certainly, the Bible was a source of inspiration and motivation for leaders of the civil rights movement. The movement was fueled by preaching, not just about what God was going to do in the afterlife, but here and now. Yes, and God's gospel is political, meaning it has real world implications for our lives here and now. The laws that govern our lives, the pay we receive, and how we relate to each other. We are so fortunate today to be joined by Dr. Aubrey Hendricks. Dr. Hendricks is a biblical scholar at Columbia University and Union Theological Seminary, Cornell West, that the great activist philosopher has called him one of the last few grand prophetic intellectuals. Okay, <laughs> You're, I'm, I'm so excited. Dr. Hendricks has come out with a new book. It's titled Christians Against Christianity. Ooh, I love that. Christians and Against Christianity. So delicious. And the book is about the moral roots of the Bible, and it uncovers the hypocrisy of evangelical right-wing rhetoric. And we are so happy to have you here with us today. Please welcome Dr. Aubrey Hendricks. Thank you. Thank you. Very glad to be here with you. Yeah, we're happy to have you here and sit at your feet today and learn from you. Um, you've been a long time activist and a scholar, but you came from Wall Street. Is that right? I really came from the Black Nationalist Movement of the... Okay. 60s and 70s, and how I ended up walking Wall Street's a long story. <laughs> Suffice it to say, my generation, we were raised to be uh, credits to the race, and mm -hmm. uh, that meant be a doctor or a lawyer or something. Well, I thought it would be easier to go Wall Street. Uh, but yeah, that was my first career. And then it was so traumatic that I found religion. <laughs> okay. Well, how, how did you make that leap from Wall Street executive to being a theologian and, and activist? But I realized that I was dying spiritually, and I started self-sabotaging. I realized that, too, I, business I was able to do with my eyes closed prior, I couldn't do it all. So I left to become head of economic development of the town that I grew up in, East Orange, New Jersey. Well, let me step back. My father died when I was 33, and I was standing in the pulpit speaking at his funeral, and something struck me, and I realized that this... Church was my site of service and struggle, more a site of struggle in the sense of working in the church and through the church to make a, a difference in the world. So I thought I could continue to assuage my ego because it was a big ego shot working on Wall Street, you know, being a young <laughs> black guy. Mm -hmm. You know, and I started in the 70s. It was uh, very few of us. So 
I uh, thought I'd go home to my, my hometown, East Orange, and I could serve the community, I thought, while still having my hand in finance and development and, you know, feeling like a big shot. But after a, a year, some things happened and I was struggling, you know, struggling with, with I guess we call, call it a calling. I don't want to act like it was a mm. calling to the pulpit. But I was in li- I went in the library one day and I saw a buddy of mine I used to know from the jazz scene. And um, he had a pile of books on his desk of um, Bible and theology. And I said, what are you doing, man? He said, I'm going to Princeton Theological Seminary and I'm just trying to, you know, read it up. And I said, wow, you going? I don't know. Maybe I could go. You know, prior to that, I didn't have any sense that I could go to any institution like that. And uh, lo and behold, I was accepted about a month after the deadline by Michael Livingston, who's now the interim pastor of Riverside Church. And from there, I was uh, in seminary, you know, kicking and fighting. I didn't really want to be there. I really didn't want to be in the pulpit ministry at all. Um, I still don't and would not want to. But I realized uh, after a certain point, one of my professors, Clarice Martin, a young black woman at the time, um, made me realize I had gifts for scholarship. And she, you know, talked me eventually into doing a PhD, which I fought against terribly because where I came from, people barely graduated from college, much less, you know, PhD. I just couldn't see that that was in my, my world. But she talked me into it. And I realized that my site of service was as a biblical scholar to raise consciousness and disabuse people of all the terrible abuse and, and, uh, mistaken and, uh, and false and lying and weaponized biblical interpretations that stand in the way of um, folk in the church really uh, making a a real effective difference in the society for justice and love. I appreciate your your service in doing that because that is just, I mean, what a fight, you know, still going on. (laughs) Uh, Were were you involved in the civil rights movement? That was after me. I was born in segregation, actually, in Farmville, Virginia, where they close the schools rather than desegregate. But I grew up in Newark and East Orange, New Jersey. So we're talking about after the Civil Rights Act was passed, you know, late 60s, early 70s. I was in the Black Nationalist Movement, you know, uh, the Black Cultural Nationalists. I joined a Mary Baraka's organization. You know, we're the guys who wore uh, African clothing all the time, including in the winter. And, uh, you know, I had an afro so big, you know, I could close the door, I walk through the door, you catch, catch my hair in the door, you know, it's that kind of thing. Um, it was an extraordinary uh, formative experience though, because I was with so many young people who were really dedicated to making a difference to the point of being willing to, um, to risk serious bodily harm and, and even death. Uh, we were that dedicated, and which helped me understand Jesus and his young disciples. You know, many folks mm-hmm. forget these were young guys, teenage guys, and and, uh, you know, helped me understand what real discipleship was, and that has informed my scholarship. Was there, was there something that happened or a, a moment that you remember where you, you started putting the faith lens on top of your activism lens? Well, you know, I was raised in the church. Even when I was away from the church, I was still in dialogue, though it was, you know, um, it was disaffirming dialogue. I was still in dialogue with the church. And so I never really was a person without, you know, a spiritual grounding. But I think what, what really brought it together for me was when I was in seminary and I encountered, um, well, first off, I was Elaine Pagel's first graduate student, wrote the Gnostic Gospels. And that, you know, you can imagine what that was like. But also, um, I encountered the works of Richard Horsley, 
um, and Ched Myers. And, uh, you know, they showed me, yeah, that this, this, this gospel is, there's a real radicality to it that is mm-hmm. unsung, you know? And, uh, so I, I have to give them credit. That really opened my eyes. Then I, I read Howard Thurman's book, Jesus and the Disinherited. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he started the whole thing long before anybody else, but mm-hmm. I encountered him after I encountered, uh, those folks. So th- that's, that's what really, what really did it, uh, me and then you know i read alan bosak you know and some of the south african theologians and that you know really brought it together um and, and aside alan bosak was, I had a very thrilling moment I, I, a, a brother i know called me from his church one sunday afternoon and said i have somebody i want you to talk to who's a real fan of your work and it was uh, alan bosak and you know wow man hmm. One of my heroes from seminary. <laughs> so, so, you know, wow, man, I must be doing something a little right. That's like a God wink moment. You know, you know, you're on the right track. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. We're building a Yes Jesus book club here. So, we have a lot of reading to do. You're giving a really good list for our listeners as well. Um, but let's get into the context of your book. Okay. Christians Against Christianity. Let's just bluntly lay it out. Like, where is America morally right now? Right now, it's, it's, um, it's frighteningly immoral and amoral. You know, there's no moral grounding. Of course, you know, we're speaking generally, but when we look at the political terrain, there's really no moral grounding because on the right, they're totally ideological. It's all totally about what serves their interests, and they don't care about morality at all. It's obvious because they, any moral stance doesn't serve their purpose. They, they will just jettison. And, um, you know, on center to the left, they're not grounded in evil like the right wing is, and I've said it, I'll use the E word. They're not grounded in evil, trying to hurt um, and harm people uh, and, and oppress folk and make them feel like they're worthless. They're not trying to do that, but at the same time, they're not standing a strong moral ground. They're not standing for justice. Um, they're just either just trying to survive or again, they're looking at, not even for the interests, for their own interests, they're just looking to counter the, the evil of, of the right. So, you, so you, you see my point. There's no real moral stand that anyone's taking. You know, we were hoping that that Biden would do that. He started out sounding like he was going to do that, and he might at some point. But right now, he's just another politician trying to survive, and uh, you know, they're stripping his feathers every day, and uh, it's sort of scary to think where he might end up. You know, um, trying to to get along. What do you think that could look like uh, to have a moral grounding in response to the evil that permeates so much of the right wing? What do you think is is a proper uh, initial moral standing to have? Well, if we're talking about the faith community, I include anyone who subscribes to the biblical witness or has respect for it. We know that one of the two most important commandments in the gospel is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's, you know, that's very foundation. And Mm -hmm. you have to start there. And, you know, the implications, the egalitarian implications are immense. I mean, that essentially says in everything we do in all our policies and laws, we want to impact our neighbors and give them the the same rights and, and resources for themselves and their families as we want for ourselves. That's profound egalitarian justice. Mm-hmm. Um, which accords with the foundational justice of the Hebrew Bible, Mishpat, the Hebrew Bible. The other thing I think is uh, Matthew 25, 31 through 46, you know, which ends, uh, as you have not done it to the least of these, um, you have not done it to me. I mean, because in that passage, 
what we see is the way that we are to be judged is whether and how we help other people. Um, mm-hmm. We're judged and given credit to the extent that we try to help people who are hungry, who are bereft, just people who are vulnerable in bad shape. But what we're not judged by is who we sleep with. We're not judged by um, what our religion is. We're judged by the spirituality of our actions o- alone. And I think that's so important because that leaves room for, for us to get together with so many folk who they don't have to believe what we believe. They just have, have to uh, have the same moral bearings that we have. So I think that's where we start. We go back to the, to the moral and ethical beginning and then build upon that. Dr. Hendricks, what you're just saying takes me back to the prayer request that we have today with Richie, who has a sister who's not just accepting of them being LGBTQ, but also anti-vax. You know, sounds like they're really entrenched in the right-wing rhetoric. Would you would you agree that it's it's a genuine fellowship that will bring us back to the table where we can see each other and hear each other again? Yes, but it has to be fellowship that acknowledges forthrightly and candidly what is um you know it can't be a lot of kumbaya you know yeah. uh, smarmy stuff we have to call evil by its name we just have to because there a lot of these folk don't know that what they're doing is evil even so first we have i think sit down and again go and and go to the text but it's about raising consciousness it's about calling out the evil that many people are purveying um, some know that they're doing it, but I, I like to believe most don't. And then, yes, extending a hand and said, look, we're willing to talk to talk about this. But you have to realize you're harming people. You know, you, what you're doing is killing people. Now, that has to stop. You know, and, and, and then and then we can we can talk about love. So I'm maybe because I have a warrior's mentality. You know, I'm not looking to fight all the time. I don't mean, mean that. But I have a struggler's mentality, which means. I think we betray our and hurt ourselves when we let folk off the hook too easily, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so I wouldn't. I, I would do the things that I, I say. Well, you have a chapter in your book titled uh, "A New Commandment That I Give You: That You Love One Another," and it's an examination of evangelical condemnation of the LGBTQ community. And you spend that chapter examining what those claims are. So, what what did you find um, in in the process of writing that? You know, I, in that chapter, I looked at the passages in the Bible, the handful that um, we understand as condemning homosexuality, same-gender intimacy as a biblical sin, and therefore is evil. And I, then, and I looked at them, and I realized when you contextualize, for instance, the ones, the, the few verses in Deuteronomy and, and Leviticus, when you put them in historical and cultural context, you know, you realize that, that what Moses was trying to give these folks was parameters so they would not do the same, uh, get involved with the same kind of ritual things that the Canaanites were doing. You know, right. it's it's like somebody, a, a little sect coming from stinky from Mississippi to New York <laughs> City. You know, you're going to, you know, and, I mean, they're going to be consumed um, by the larger culture if you don't give them some some parameters. So, you know, he's right. saying uh, if, um, if you work on the Sabbath, you'd be killed and all that. People forget about all that, all, all those kinds of things. And for instance, when he talked about a man should not lie with a man. Well, I mean, he's, he's talking about the temple uh, fertility sex cult. Mm-hmm. in which men took on the persona of the female deity. They dress like women, they act like women. Some of them even 
uh, have themselves castrated so they could fulfill this role. And so Moses was saying, literally, it says, do not be holy ones. Mm-hmm. In other words, do not do what they do in their, their temple. And then with, and then there, um, with Paul there, in the few places that Paul speaks a, a, about same gender intimacy, um, you know, there are translation problems, translation issues, and all that. Some of it's not clear. The bottom line is that at best, what the Bible says about same gender loving intimacy is mm-hmm. ambiguous at best. You cannot predicate anybody's life chances on stuff that's just not clear. So I, I worked pretty hard. I'm pretty proud of that chapter because I worked hard, you know, to show, look, I tried to kill everything standing. I, you know, I, I tried to, <laughs> I tried to address every question. I'm sure I didn't, but it's, it's to me, it is so abhorrent that we would treat fellow human beings as aberrant or less than for whatever reason. And it just breaks my heart the way that we treat the gay community. And, and I'm going to give you one quick example. There's a friend of my, my wife's who's a gay man. And uh, uh, ve- they were very close. And so um, uh, she wanted me to meet him. And we met. And afterward, he said, well, was he put off because I'm gay? And that broke mm-hmm. my heart. I mean, you have to live like that. Wonder if somebody's going to reject you. The thing of it is, I love the guy. <laughs> He's wonderful. He- um, God rest his soul, he's since passed. But I loved him. But yeah. he had that, he couldn't, he had that, couldn't that, shake it. that question. Yeah. And it stood in the way. You know, that's, mm-hmm. and that's not the way human beings should happen. I agree with you. And you talk about a lot more than just um, LGBTQ stuff like that. I mean, you examine anti-blackness, nativism, abortion, gun control, and big business. I suspect so many of these things are related. Can you talk about what you're finding? Well, what I'm finding is that right-wing evangelicals have twisted everything up. Oh, amen. (laughs) (laughs) That's what this show's all about. (laughs) I mean, it's, 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 and that's what I try to show in the book. I try to show with immigration, of course, how they ignore what the Bible says. You know, the Bible says umpteen times tells the way that you have to treat immigrants like everybody else and look out for immigrants. It even says you must support immigrants till they're able to support themselves. And that tithing should be used to support immigrants. All the kinds of things they don't want to hear. That's clear that they don't want to hear. And they'll hang on the ambiguity. And the and NRA, you know, I wanted this to show how, I mean, how, how, how sick and anti-Christian um, their position is with supporting them, talking about a God-given right to have guns. What I really found is that on the, the primary issues in this society, they are either wrong or they're confused, but they get damn near everything wrong on social issues. And that's what I, I wanted, wanted to show. Even um, with big business, how most folks don't know that right-wing evangelical positions are against working people, but the policies they support are against working folks. Billy Graham mm-hmm. said, there'd be no snakes and no unions in heaven, that shows how, and I mean, shows how these right wingers think. And unions are the foremost thing we have to protect us from corporate uh, depredation. So they're, and they are supporting, whether they know it or not, the biggest capitalists, um, the most rapacious capitalists. And these are the kind of things I try to bring to light. This book seems like a condemnation of the way religion is being practiced these days. Uh, how how would you suggest that we assert love and justice in a really faithful way, even in our day-to-day lives? You know, Cornell West, there's a phrase he used to use a lot. I haven't heard music recently, but he talked about 
keeping track of each other's humanity. We look at each other as being created in the image of God or being created by God equally. Um, and, and also, um, step aside from some of the certainty that we have and also realize, especially for Christians, that Jesus didn't teach any theology. He didn't, he taught almost nothing about what to believe. He taught how we should act, that we should love one another, and that must be leavened uh, with justice or vice versa. And justice, egalitarian justice, we know is love our neighbor as ourselves. I'm thinking that if we could every day wake up and pray, Lord, would you please, I know I'm imperfect, but please help me to love my neighbor as myself. Um, mm-hmm. I think that would make you know quite a difference. But only those who take Jesus' message seriously will do that. And I s- suggest that most folk do not. And on the right wing, they think they do, but they're fanatics. They don't take it seriously. They just take it in a fanatical, self-serving way. And I get a lot of hate for saying that, but I, you know, I don't care. It's true. I, I love that you say you, we have to remember each other's humanity. I think it can be hard to understand what that means, how that can be practiced, and, and what that exactly what that implies. I know for me, I've learned what that means. Uh, working in a, in the financial industry myself, I work for a credit union during the day, and you know you come across different situations and different opportunities to kind of bring equity to some people's lives when it comes to like absurd bank fees, <laughs> you know, uh, and remembering like our tagline for the credit union I work for, and this is not a commercial, but the tagline is uh, human-centered banking. And oftentimes I, I go back to that and I remember that when I come across uh, some situations where I can have my biases arise and maybe I don't want to reverse a fee because I'm like, well, you just had fees reversed a month ago, you know, for, you know, this, but, but understanding the situation, hearing the story, hearing the humanity in, in what is needed um, in that moment. Um, but anyway, so that's what, what came up for me as you were speaking. Well, that's, um, that's, that's, that's very important. May I just say, when you look at the Lord's prayer, I mean, Jesus said, um, forgive our, our debts. Um, uh, forgive our financial debts as we have forgiven the financial debts of others, I mean, that's how we build a new society, you know? Um, the third way, right? Yes, yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's a great book called Jesus in the Third Way. Um, for Add that to your Yes, Jesus reading book. <laughs> Club. Walter Wink, right? Walter yes. Wink. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, we are just two white gay guys running a queer Christian podcast. <laughs> what, are there ways that we can keep the spirit of some of these pioneers of justice and make it even more intersectional? How can we diversify that? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Break it out into more of the, the the different missions that are out there that help with this issue of right-wing conservative Christians basically f- uh, fanaticalizing the, the, the Bible instead of using it for, like, how could we help diversify that message? Yeah, well, you know, one thing is um, maybe to uh, open your show to to non Christians or, or or you know secular, mm-hmm. because I know there are some real uh, freedom fighters who are on the same um, ethical and moral ground, um, yeah. and um, uh, they're just not people of you know, biblical belief, but they believe in justice and uh, and love for the community, like like. Uh, everyone else and some of them have you know some of the strongest you know witness uh, witnesses you know um and um there are some of the the womanist scholars who are pretty 
they're, well, they're pretty, take a pretty intersectional uh, approach. They're, they're right on, on so many of the issues, you know, and have a powerful, powerful witness. Um, so that, that might be a, the way to go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can say I, I had a conversation. A- Angela Davis is an atheist, and, you know, she's been for, for, for decades. But, you know, conversation I've, I've, I've had with her, we're on the same ethical um, foundation, moral foundation, and even more so for her. I mean, on, on, mm-hmm. on her part, I mean, I'm, I'm learning for her, from her how to be more, to be more human, to be honest with you. Um, mm-hmm. This extraordinary human being. And, you know, she's, she read my, she read this book. I talked to her. She said, yeah, well, I'm, I'm on chapter so-and-so and so-and-so. I mean, you know. So let me just say that so many of the folk who are some of the greatest, the most deeply spiritual, freedom-fighting, loving folk are not people of biblical faith. Mm. Now, they are influenced, you know, whether they realize it or not, you know, their sense of justice comes from the, you know, the biblical prophets. Mm-hmm. You know, just like the philosopher John Rawls said he wasn't, um, that he wasn't a person of biblical faith at all, but he spent his whole career trying to come up with a justice system that would that would help everybody, include everybody, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, he might as well have been working from, you know, Matthew 25. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to see us work, work hand in hand more with, with uh, other folk, you know, who want to build a, a new and just world. I think that's so great. When, when you were talking, I, th- I was thinking of Thich Nhat Hanh as someone who really embodies a lot of what we call Christian values, but really are just godly spirit-led values, you know. But Dr. Hendricks, some of our listeners have had a really hard relationship with the church and with scripture. And for LGBTQ people, they only have, you know, they have only experienced trauma. Uh, do you have any advice for them on how to, to for those who want to maybe return to scripture, return to faith, how they can read scripture? Yeah, well, one thing is to keep in mind that Jesus taught, he was primarily a teacher of ethics and how to live and how to treat other people. And uh, he was not theologian. So, you know, I don't want to insult my theologian friends, but I don't read books of theology. I mean, books that are theological books. There, there's theology, you know, interspersed in all kinds of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't, um, and, I, and, and I think that we should avoid things that, that give us pain. I think that uh, LGBTQ plus folk read the Bible for themselves and progressive scholars. I, I try to be one and there and there are others, of course. And ignore those other folk. And what you might do is not go to church at all, unless you're <laughs> there. Or, or uh, what's that? The Metropolitan um, um, yeah, MCC. Metropolitan yeah, Community yeah. Church. Yeah, exactly. I've had some wonderful students that I respect immensely who are ministers mm-hmm. in that. You know, first I'd say avoid the church. It's not worth it, man. You know, mm-hmm. really, it's just it's so it's so aggravating and. Uh, uh, study for yourselves. Have your own study group. Yes, that's what we tried to do here. And, you know, we also know about churchclarity.org where we tell people they can find an accepting place to be able to go, you know, um, which that, that, that at least lets you know if a church uh, is ambiguous about whether they're uh, LGBTQ supporting or if they're definitely on board, you know, at least so they, you know, they have an idea um, of a safe space to do. You know, Dr. Over Hendricks, you have so much wisdom to share. We want to thank you so much for the contributions that you've already brought to the social justice movement. And we want to thank you for your faithful allyship to the LGBTQ community. It means so much to us. We hope that we can continue to support one another. 
Oh, no question, brother. We, we don't have a choice if we're going to be here. <laughs> Thank you so much for what you, are, what you all are doing. It's, um, you know, I know it uplifts and, and empowers some folks and, and comforts those, you know, who really need it, need the inspiration. And yeah, I'm a fellow, you know, traveler. I'm a fellow soldier. We're shoulder to shoulder. And uh, I'm dedicated to the deepest fiber of, of my, my being to walk with my gay brothers and sisters who are catching hell out here, you know? It's just, mm -hmm. it burns me up, brother. I mean, you know, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Well, we, we appreciate all you've done as a social justice warrior and as a sibling to us. And thank you so much, honestly, for being on our program. Oh, my yeah. God bless you. You heard what Dr. Hendricks said. Forget church. <laughs> Find community instead. <laughs> Everyone, make sure you check out Christians Against Christianity. That is Dr. Hendrick's book. This is a book that will give you focus on where we are as a country and a world and help you think about what your role is to stand up for righteousness and justice. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. I mean, what a pleasure, honestly. My pleasure, my pleasure brother. It went too fast. And keep me in mind, always ready. We will, for sure. I'm, I have no doubt we'll have you back. <laughs> well, I do have a question. Where, where does Yas? Yas, um, okay, Yas is, it came, it, where it really was born out of was Lady Gaga's fan base. Like when Lady Gaga would come out of like uh, the, an airport or something, they'd be like, Yas, we love your outfit, yeah. <laughs> like and it became like this thing where it was like so funny that it became part of the queer vernacular to just kind of be like, yeah. Like it just became like, it was like came from like the acts, like that's really where it came from. So we just, since it's a comedy program, we kind of thought, yes, Jesus. <laughs> like, you know, like part of it actually comes from a, a point that I've made before that I've had in conversations that led to creating Yes, Jesus, where how, um, uh, Azariah and I actually went to the finale of RuPaul's Drag Race together. And it was, everyone was dressed to the nines. It was the whole LGBTQ community. They were all praising these drag queens. Like they were the disciples of Christ and Christ himself. And as much as we were enjoying ourselves, I was like, this feels so the closest thing to church that I felt in so long. And I just wish that, you know, you know, um, they tricked the gay community. They told us that we couldn't have God. They told us that we couldn't have God. They did. They tricked us. They told us we couldn't have God. And then we, all that energy that goes towards praise and worship went to fashion and pop stars and, and all this other bullshit. And we were just kind of like, no, like you got to remember, like, why is it, why is it weird to raise your hand in praise in church? But then you could faint for Beyonce. It doesn't make sense. Make it make sense, Lord. Like, oh, gosh. so, so that's where Yas comes from. It's just sort of just like, you know, what about Yas? Jesus. We love your robe, Jesus. Like, what a beautiful what a beautiful man of hair jesus we we definitely don't worship the white jesus from texas <laughs> like we're you know we're here to sort of um open up people's eyes to and, and, and honestly like the miracle and the the works and the how wonderful it is to just have god in your life like and and you know my mom always says like when she's talking like she comes to me to conventions and things like that and when she talks to like a young gay kid she always says what's your favorite bag and they're like my louis vuitton and they're like okay and what's your puppy's name oh princess or whatever she's like would you let them take your puppy away no would you let them take your bag no then why do you let them take your god your most valuable thing in your life wow 
you know, and it's, that's where Yash Jesus comes from. It's like, we are reclaiming our pride. We are reclaiming our faith where you can't tell us we can't have our God. Like, and we can have them any way we want. We could be multifaceted. We could be sexual spirit beings. We could be, you know, um, all these other things. But if everything is like coming from a place of good intention and consent, then I don't think that, you know, God's going to have a problem with what anybody else is to do. So. Well, all you yeah. got to say, uh, you know, I'm just following the example of uh, David and Jonathan. Yes, we have a great episode, a great steamy episode about David and Jonathan. That is so like a, I mean, that is definitely like a wonderful uh, uh, thing for us too. But it's just um, really just letting people know that there are messages here, there are perspectives that are queer for people. You know, and, and I think also for I, I can for me speaking for me, like being able to have a, a resource out there that you can that people can find that were so hurt by by scripture that was wrongfully used and, and abused. And, you know, growing up LGBTQ and hearing that scripture used against them and then being able to find a resource where, oh my God, my story was there all along in the story of David and Jonathan, in the story of Joseph, you know, like, and, and so re-exploring these Bible stories to reclaim that. Um, Even hearing the story of, of Paul telling the eunuch that the, that that the Lord would have no problem with him being baptized, what a nice message for somebody who might be intersex or you know just any have any different kind of genitalia. Like I think that um, these perspectives are not shown, and just there's just no there's no, there's, not, there's not a light on them. And I think we were even talking about Joseph and Joseph wearing a ketanet pasim instead instead of it being a technicolor coat. A ketanet pasim is a princess dress, and Joseph might have been a gender queer person of color, and. And like even just not to tell that perspective is doing a disservice to the Bible and saying, hey, some people might think this like, you know, um, and, and that's sort of where we come from. You know, we didn't we couldn't find it anywhere. Both Azariah and I went to conversion therapy and it's not lost on me that the same Bible that I carried to conversion therapy is the Bible that I'm reading about David and Jonathan to to people on here. The same physical text. It's all about the lens. And I think that these, that, you know, um, the problem that I think that we have with a lot of the conservative Christian, right, that we've been talking about and that your book speaks upon is that no, a lot of them don't read the Bible. A lot of them are, have it filtered through some sort of spiritual leader that probably doesn't even read it himself half the time. You know, it's following some lesson plan from like a greater authority. And I think that, um, there are messages anywhere. And, you know, as long as we have a broadcast, we will reach out and try to find people who need to hear it. Well, God bless you, brother. I tell you, great work, and thank you for uh, raising that point about Joseph. Thank you so much, Dr. Hendricks, and thank you all for listening. Listen, your tithe, love, offering, charity, act of good this week. You heard those books that Dr. Hendricks listed. Start your reading list. Start with Christians Against Christianity, but then move on to James Cones, Walter Wink, and so many other books by folks who love God and call for justice in this world. You may have followers, but if your followers are not actively engaging with each other, learning from each other, and vibing regularly, then you don't have a community. So please reach out to us. We want to know who you are. We want to feel your presence. Now, please, let's uh, lower our heads for prayer. Unless you're driving, don't do that. God, we just want to thank you again for bringing us together here at Yash Jesus, for bringing us together with all these wonderful people. We want to thank you uh, so much for Dr. Obrey Hendricks joining us. We want to pray that the Christian church and all of us who call ourselves Christian can stand up for God's love and justice. We want to pray to speak up for those who are oppressed, marginalized, targeted, harassed, arrested. Let us proclaim your gospel so that it is comfort to those who need a word of comfort and agitation to those who need to be stirred and called out. We'd like to pray for vandals who continue to tear down symbols 
of welcome and inclusion. We have to pray, Lord, that you change their heart and you guide us to respond in love and justice each, each and every time. And for Michael and his walk around Missouri, it's a true crosswalk to lift up justice for all, including LGBTQ people. So we pray that you are with him as he is walking. And for Richie, his sister, her husband, and their whole family, we pray for healing. We pray for genuine fellowship. We pray for love and justice in their relationships. And we pray for health and healing in that family. Thank you and amen. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Yash Jesus. You can find us on social media at Yash Jesus Pod or on our website at YashJesusPod.com. If you like the show, please consider becoming a monthly sponsor. You can find the link to do so in the show notes. And if you haven't yet, leave us a review. Five stars, my friend. Share with a friend. And doing so, please, it just helps us reach new people and keep the show running. You can now leave an audio prayer request or praise report on our website, yasjesuspod.com. We would love to share your voice and your prayers on the show. So drop us a line or send us a recording on yasjesuspod.com. Send us your praise reports, your prayer requests, your episode ideas, your guest ideas, or even just the love and justice is coming your way. We'd love to hear from you. Yash Jesus is hosted by me, Danny Franzese, and Azariah Southworth. Music, sound, editing, and all things audio are done by Chris Heckman. Our show is produced by the freaking Deacon Ross Murray and Meredith Pauly. Special thanks to Sophie Serrano and Sam Isfan. Yash Jesus is brought to you by Oddity. Oddity execs are Ryan Lochner, Jessica Bustillos, and Steve Michaels. And honey, no matter where you're at in this world, no matter what you believe, God will always love you just as you are. And we'll keep screaming and streaming for you. Keep praising the Lord, y'all. Ah! Ah!